Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 870, air date February 1st, 2021. I'm doing something interesting. We have people on Instagram. So I'm literally, I hope this is okay for the people on Instagram, I'm pointing my screen for you guys at the screen so people on Instagram can follow right now. The tools we use doesn't allow you to do direct streaming to Instagram, but we'll wait. Um, we're going to have a important discussion uh, discussing um, fake election fraud and real election fraud, the real crime scene. And I'm also going to uh, give people an update of what's going on in Massachusetts and our two lawsuits and also uh, educating people on the two victories we got in our lawsuits in Massachusetts. Let, let me just make sure everyone's coming in. So we're going to wait for people to join here. And on Instagram, people, I think, are joining. Yep, there we go. So we'll wait. So I'm going to begin. Uh, today's agenda is I'm going to uh, begin with a little video that we did during our campaign. That'll give you sort of a summary. Then I'm going to walk you through. My goal today is to really educate all of you on these two lawsuits, but also to educate you in such a way that you can use the content here to uh, strengthen people on the fact that there is a fake election fraud which some people have been fighting and losing at and making a lot of money at. And then there's a real election fraud that we've been doing in Massachusetts where we have uh, two lawsuits, two victories without any lawyers where I'm representing myself. And I wanna give you a little bit of background into that going over uh, my background so you understand the fact that I'm a systems guy on the background from the invention of email, from, from the background and pattern analysis. This will essentially give you more background and then we're gonna run uh, right into the update in Massachusetts. So I hope uh, that helps. And uh, without further ado, let me actually start by, uh, uh, I think, well, let me see if I just screwed up here. Uh, yeah, let me see if I can do this here. I may have to, uh, there's a share screen thing, which has unfortunately disappeared because it's down here. Um, let me do this here. I think people for you guys are okay here. You can still see this, which is good. Okay, so if you can see this, I'm gonna share the screen here. And I'm gonna start with um, uh, giving everyone a quick overview on a wonderful video that we did right in the middle of our election campaign. Let me start this right here. On September 1st, the working people of Massachusetts rose up to elect one of their own for US Senate, the United beyond black and white, beyond left and right, to unleash a movement for truth, freedom, health. 3,000 volunteers, 10,000 lawn signs, 20,000 bumper stickers, millions of phone calls, massive rallies, over 20,000 donations, funding highway billboards, ads on social media, radio and network TV, making Dr. Shiva for Senate a household name. The people of Massachusetts were headed for a landslide victory. But on the eve of election night, Secretary of State Galvin spread disinformation saying only 150,000 would vote in the Republican primary, 100,000 less than 2018. On election night, Shiva for Senate won in Franklin County by nearly 10%, but lost in every other county by 20% to an invisible opponent, neither heard nor seen, had no lawn signs, no bumper stickers, no organization, in short, no campaign. 
In Franklin County, ballots were counted mainly by hand. In all other counties, mainly digital scanners generated ballot images tabulated by electronic software. Evidence comparing number of votes to voters revealed blatant fraud. In Boston, 4,000 more votes than voters. In Newton, 1,700 more votes than voters. More votes than voters in every city for which Shiva for Senate received data. Mathematicians and data analysts discovered a completely improbable frequency pattern of voting revealing the software for electronic tabulation was set to reduce Shiva for Senate votes by 50% and increase their votes by 20%. More disturbing, ballot images were destroyed. Federal law demands all records, documents generated in connection with an election must be retained for 22 months. Massachusetts violated federal law. The establishment does not want one of us, working people, to represent us. When we win, they cheat. When we win, they rig their software to steal our democracy. You now have a choice. Accept election fraud, accept corruption, or fight. We choose to fight to escalate our movement for truth, freedom, health by leading a write-in campaign for Dr. Shiva for U.S. Senate to unite working people to build a defiant movement to expose and destroy their system of power, profit, and control. Join us. Write in Dr. Shiva for U.S. Senate now or by November 3rd. It's time for us. So anyway, I wanted to uh, share that with everyone. The main reason I wanted to share that with all of you guys is that uh, that uh, video was was done as a part of our beginning of our write-in campaign in Massachusetts. Let me just set this up. So that was done as a part of our write-in campaign in Massachusetts, um, which was done because what had occurred in Massachusetts was in the primary election, which took place on September 1st, 2020, uh, as this video mentioned, they ran a invisible opponent. We had 3,000 volunteers on the ground, and that video captured that. So that led into me filing two lawsuits. So what I'm going to share with everyone today is those two lawsuits, you know, what occurred in those two lawsuits, and um, where we're at with those two lawsuits. Let me see if people are commenting here. Yep, we have people coming in. So we're going to cover that today. But before that, um, uh, I wanted to also give you um, a background. Uh, some of you may have known this background, but I think it's important to understand and arm yourself because what we're building, as you know, at vashiva.com is a educational platform. And, um, and many of you know we're building this platform. If you can go to vashiva.com, um, it it's becoming a platform for education where we teach people foundations of systems. We're also teaching people uh, the understanding of how to use communication platforms, and I'll talk about some actions. But one of the critical things is that um, the the tool capabilities we're offering here is to educate you fundamentally. So if if I step back a little bit and I give you a little bit of, of the background, um, of my background, it'll help you in explaining to people why this is not just some, look, there is some fake election fraud going on. The Democrats talk about voter suppression and, the, and just focusing on mail-in um, uh, ballots by the Republicans doesn't get at the heart of the issue. The heart of the real crime scene is computer algorithms. So how did I, what is my background that allows me to so confidently talk about this? Well, let me talk about that. Uh, many of you may know, um, as a 14-year-old uh, kid, you know, I invented the first email system. When I was growing up in Newark, New Jersey, we just set this up for our team over here on Instagram world because I'm literally shooting, believe it or not, they're seeing my uh, screen here, so I have to adjust it for them. 
There we go. It's a little bit low tech, but it works nonetheless. Okay, so I want to walk you through this presentation that I just gave to a number of people. Just quickly, and some of you may know this is not to uh, pat myself on the back, but it's also to really educate you on where this information is coming from. You know, I'm a scientist, engineer, educator, entrepreneur, got four degrees from MIT. I'm an expert, which some of you may know, in system science and pattern analysis. I'm also a Fulbright scholar, Lemelson MIT guy, and I was also nominated for the US National Medal of Technology and Innovation. So my journey to run for US Senate to understand the selection fraud, you know, goes back a long way. As some of you may know, I grew up in India as a, uh, as a young kid in Bombay, you know, which, is, which are scenes like this, as you can see. But I also grew up in a um, very different world. I also grew up uh, at least a third of my life in a small village in deep South India where the scenes are like this. And my grandmother was a traditional healer. That's her in her Sunday best where she could observe. She practiced a whole traditional system of Indian medicine, which you, if you wanna go and learn it, you can go to Systems Health or Foundations of Systems. But um, that system of medicine allowed her to have very good powers of diagnosis where she could observe your face. And based on observing your face, she would then figure out what were the right medicines for you? But I also grew up in a world of Indian caste system. You know, these uh, where there was a hierarchy there where we were at the way at the bottom of the rung and the Brahmanical priesthood was at the top. So I was very interested in political systems and medical systems. And as uh, some of you may know, my family came here when I was seven years old. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. And by the time I was 14, I had finished all my mathematics courses and my high school had nothing else to offer me. So my dear mom had seen this little note. This was when I was 14 because ninth grade, I finished up calculus. My, as I said, my high school had no other math courses, but this little, uh, a friend of hers, Marty Foreman, this is March 29th, 1978, gave, us, gave her a little note. My, 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 my mom's name was Mina Minakshi. And it said, I think you'd be interested in this. And what it was, was the, the New York University Corrent Institute of Mathematical Sciences was going to select uh, essentially 40 kids to come to NYU and learn computer programming. Well, I was one of those fortunate kids selected, headed off to NYU. My mom would drop me off at the Path Station. I take it from New York all the way into uh, Hoboken and then from Hoboken into Christopher Street uh, where NYU was. And in those days as a 14 year old kid, I was allowed to go into NYU uh, you know, without any parental um, you know, uh, chaperoning. Uh, and I graduated top of the class, as you can see, this is in April 1978 with distinction. And then after that, I had to finish up some mathematics uh, from humanities courses in high school, but I got a full-time job in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. And these are some of those scenes back in 1970s, um, working as a full-time research fellow. Initially, I started doing work on why babies were dying in their sleep called sudden infant death syndrome. And this was my introduction to pattern analysis, which is very important uh, from my later life in figuring out the analysis of election patterns. But you have a wave signal and you're trying to, in this case, it's the baby sleep patterns. And based on these different sleep patterns, um, I was building computer algorithms uh, in Newark as a 14 year old in 1978 to figure out when that baby would potentially go into an apnea when it stopped breathing. But while I was there, I was given another challenge. And anyone out there, by the way, who gives a single cent to Wikipedia if you give a single penny to Wikipedia, you must stop doing that. Do not give Wikipedia a single penny because what Wikipedia does is Wikipedia has nothing to do with truth. What they are about is lying to people because when you go look at the 
truth about the invention of email, what you'll find is um, what I'm going to share you share with you right now is the fact that the invention of email did not occur by the military industrial academic complex. It actually occurred in Newark, New Jersey. So let me um, go back to this. Everyone back here can see. Let me go back here. Here we go. I'm sorry. Um, I got to stop. Sorry. I got to go back. So, all right. So here we are. So I assume everyone can see this. So in those days, in that medical school, they had um, women who ran the inter-office mail system. And some of you may, may know, it looked like this. And the inter-office mail system was a way that people communicated in those days. It was the method of communication um, across those offices. And typically there was a secretary there who had on her desktop something called the uh, inbox, outbox, folders, the paper clip right over here, a typewriter, and she'd write on that typewriter a memo. Here's a sort of a sample. It had a very particular structure, the to, from, subject, CCC, BCC. This was a system. It was a paper-based system, like we used to have paper-based voting systems, right? But this was a paper-based system for communication. And you could attach a, 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 a an attachment, in this case, my grade report or something, and you could put it in this envelope and you'd shoot it around. So you could, you could do carbon copies, blind carbon copies, everything we see in modern email systems, but it wasn't called email, it was the inner office mail system. And this is what the email looked before email. Email is not simple text messaging. So I was asked to convert this entire system into the electronic form. In order to do that, I you know, worked my butt off, wrote 50,000 lines of code. Now you have to understand, this is one of these guys who was an expert at the time in electronic messaging, David Crocker. He was writing at that time, um, which we found out many years later when the quote unquote controversy was created, that no attempt is being made to emulate a full scale inter-organizational mail system. He wrote this, which means no one was thinking about putting this in electronic form. In fact, this is an expert, you know, and he's writing, it is almost impossible to build a system which built response to all users' needs. So in those days, the nerds who were working with the military, what, like, and this is in the RAND report, never thought you could create a system like this. Now, this was six months before I started building what we now know as email. So I wrote 50,000 lines of code, as you can see here. There's the actual program of the code, which is in the Smithsonian. I named it email as a 14-year-old, coined that term to describe that entire system that I wrote, which had inbox, outbox, folders, everything we see. This was not simple text messaging. In fact, in 1980, luckily this was captured. I won, uh, this was in a local newspaper. It's talking about me. My teachers came to visit me in the lab because they wanted to see what I was doing. And I was describing to them this email system I created. And I also won one of the Westinghouse Science Talent Awards, the Honors Group, which, which is very important to understand because this is a very prestigious award. This was known as the baby nobles of the time. And there's me with my advisor. So the fact is, I wrote 50,000 lines of code, named it email. But more importantly, when I came to MIT, in the front page of MIT, right there, it said some 1,040 strong, the class of 1985 arrived at MIT. They accomplished one designed an electronic, it should be mail system, uh, mail system now being used at New Jersey College of Medicine and Dentistry. That was September 2nd, 1981. That winter of December 80, in 1981, I remember this vividly, I met with the president of MIT because I was elected student body president. And he said, look, you should copyright your software. The US Supreme Court is not allowing software patents. So let me repeat that again. So it's clear to everyone, the United States Supreme Court in 1981 didn't even know what software was. 
okay? They were not allowing software patents. So the only way to protect software was through copyright. I'm not talking about simple copyright. It was called the Computer Act of 1980, which was an amendment to the 1976 Copyright Act, which said you can use um, copyright to protect software inventions, okay? I had invented something, email. There was no way to patent it. So uh, on my own, I applied for the copyright on August 30th, 1982, as you can see right here, a young, um, this time, this, this was when I was at MIT, because that's when I applied, a 17-year-old kid gets issued the first US copyright for email for his 1978 invention, recognizing me as the inventor of email. So there is no controversy here. That's why what Wikipedia is doing, and anyone who's donating to Wikipedia, oh, let me um, uh, go here. Anyone who's donating to Wikipedia, you should not give them a single penny, okay? These people are liars. They're uh, people who believe that all great innovations must only come from their elite group. And all these facts, they will not allow to even be updated on their website, okay? But this is what I did long before I came to MIT. And that's what everyone needs to understand. So these are the facts of what took place, okay? So let's go back here. So while all of this was going on, um, this was sort of my background. So I knew how to build systems. So I had built an electronic mail system, which was moving from paper to the electronic world. So um, when I came to MIT, I was deeply interested in systems, right? Because I wanted to understand how the body worked as a system. The email work that I did was essentially in some ways a distraction from my medical interest. So when I came to MIT, I was interested. I went in and out of MIT. As many of you know, I did four degrees, started seven companies, and I never demanded or asked for publicity for the invention of email. That's what I want to emphasize. I never sought publicity, even though it was on the front page of MIT. I got the copyright. I was really interested in medicine. And maybe that was a mistake. I should have hired a publicist to push it out there much, many, many years ago. But the net of it, what happened was, fast forward to 2011, this is almost 33 years later, my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And in a beautiful suitcase, um, she leaves all of these artifacts, okay? There's my mom in 2011. And in that suitcase, um, she leaves all of these artifacts, which had the computer code, all of that. And the editor of Time Magazine, the only, by the way, the mainstream media got to actually go through the material. This was in 2011. He wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. Doug Amich was a senior editor at Time. After this, in February 2016, it went into the Smithsonian, and a Washington Post reporter wrote this article, V.A. Shivaidre, inventor of email, honored by the Smithsonian. That's when the proverbial shit hits a fan, and you see all of these people an organization called Gawker Media called me all sorts of horrible names, all sorts of horrible names. You know, I was teaching a class at MIT while running my companies and overnight I was being defamed and libeled. And, 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 and we found out that the organization behind this was a bunch of liberal historians who had already written the history of email. You see, these guys had written the history of email saying that the military had done it. When they had done Jack, what they had done was simple text messaging but they had re rewritten the history of email. So when my stuff went into the Smithsonian, it was like a new skull was found in Africa. And that new skull being found in Africa scared the, the hell out of them because this meant that the military and war was not all, was not the source of all great innovations. You see, what they've confused Americans and brainwashed is, let's go fight a war and out of that we'll build some technology and you should be so happy we started that war. When the truth is the invention of email was not done by the military. 
It was done by a 14 year old kid and I was trying to solve a civilian problem. These secretaries who were always women, were always had to do these typewriter, they'd have to write memo after memo with paper. If they were doing a carbon copy, they'd have to do so many different carbon papers. So I was asked to convert that. So it was a civilian application and that's what they're so upset about. And it turns out this organization was in close relationships with this company called Raytheon. Raytheon at that time, look at this, 2011, they were using the at symbol to promote their company, Raytheon. And they had a guy who looks like a nerd who had done nothing around email except simply to create a method to uh, transmit text messages. They had rebranded that as email. And so when my stuff went in, it created a serious problem for them. But they had forgotten this 1977 manuscript that was written, which clearly said, there's no attempt being made to emulate the interorganizational mail system. It's impossible to build a system. And this is the same guy in 2011 who was attacking me. He had forgotten we found this. So, in fact, if you go to Wikipedia, editors were trying to update the facts about my inventing email. You can see right away, one of the editors wrote to me and he goes, goes right away, my edits were deleted without discussion, not edited to improve them, but just flat out deleted. This is a kind of behavior uh, an editor encounters when editing an article on the Second Amendment, abortion, or other extremely hot topics. The response to my edits has included personal attacks, calling me ignorant, reckless, and the like. Although most editors have been less insulting than that, they've generally been aggressive. So the point is, you had, oops, let me put this up. I don't think you guys were seeing this, okay? So you can see right here, um, to those people on uh, on the other place, and what I was sharing here was this: these were the nonsense that was written about me. So I was being libeled all over, all my four degrees stopped meaning anything. And this was a kind of nonsense that was going on. I was being called a fraud, okay? And this is the, uh, a Wikipedia editor writing to me how he wasn't even able to edit this. They started attacking him. Noam Chomsky, one of the big uh, liberal scholars, Noam looked at all this and he got a lot of heat. He gave an interview where he clearly said email was invented in 1978 by a 14-year-old working in Newark, New Jersey. The facts are indisputable. But none of this got mainstream media uh, mainstream media coverage. So Walter Isaacson in the middle of all this, and by the way, the reason I'm sharing this with all of you is that when we talk about election fraud, I've been through this. I've been out there in the public eye where I've had to actually defend something that I never wanted publicity for. And I've had to go through the media attacking you, calling you all sorts of horrible names. So when it comes to election fraud of me running for U.S. Senate and many other things I've done in my life, I've actually gone through certain hits. So I'm not afraid to take on these guys because what they think is they'll plow you down by just lying, just blatantly lying and hiding facts. So in the middle of this controversy, one of the ways the, the, the media works is they also have their experts, you see? paid experts so in the middle of all of this controversy on email, this book comes out. Very interesting, written by Walter Isaacson, the guy who wrote the book on Steve Jobs. And in the book, it's called The Innovators of the Digital Revolution. Now you would think email is part of the digital revolution. Well, and he highlights all of these quote unquote inventors, okay? Now you can just look at them and you can see the pattern here, okay? This is the guy who invented the transistor, you know, radar, you know, World Wide Web, et cetera. Well, first of all, they're all white guys. In fact, there's a white woman. There's no room for any brown people or people of color in this. Now, this is not a Black Lives Matter thing. This is a liberal guy doing racism, not a right winger. This is a liberal writing a book on the history of the digital revolution. And interestingly enough, no darkies are allowed in his book. This is Walter Isaacson. You can look him up. 
So what was this really about? And he highlights at the end of his book, this guy, um, Vannevar Bush, who's the one who was the president of MIT and who started Raytheon. And in his book, he says, all great innovations come from the triangle of the military industrial academic complex. That's what he was actually saying, that innovations don't come from there, but from big business, big military, and big universities. Well, this kid, that was me, 14 years old in Newark, New Jersey, doesn't fit that narrative. You see, this is a problem that they had because the invention of email took place outside of the bastions of big academia, big business, and uh, big military. It took place in Newark, New Jersey, in a place where nothing's supposed to come out except crime by a 14 year old kid who was solving a civilian problem. So I share this with you because as a kid, I had learned about systems and before all this, I decided to run for US Senate. And one of the reasons I decided to run was because I was realizing that was what was happening to the United States was we were becoming a caste system, that all great innovations must come only at places like MIT. Now you have to understand that when I was at MIT and I invented many things between 1981 onwards and I was honored, I was put on the front page. But when I said email was done before I came to MIT, that throws a, a big problem to the elites. And that problem to the elites is they try to say, all of us must go to MIT or Harvard. You can be a Harvard dropout like Bill Gates and Zuckerberg, then it's cool. But you surely could not have invented something as grand as email at a place like Newark. Well, that's what did happen. I wrote all the code, named it email, and have the first US copyright. There is no controversy. So they unleashed hell on Wikipedia. They've locked my page. They started calling me all sorts of names. Now, one thing people do not know about me, and you will shortly after these slides, is that I've always been a fighter. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag at MIT and organizing food service workers. There's me challenging the MIT president on the front page. There's me when the fascist Sri Lankan government had jailed one of my friends, I held a huge rally to get him out. There's me at my PhD graduation demanding US out of Iraq. So what people didn't know was that I've always been a fighter. And here I had to fight for that 14 year old kid who did invent email. So I went in, got all my facts together, created the site, the inventor of email, and they attacked me for registering that domain. We put up all the facts. And interestingly enough, I filed a lawsuit against Gawker Media. And what was great was after four, it took me four years, by the way, everyone, I couldn't even find a lawyer who would take on this lawsuit because they said, ah, ha, ha, you're the Al Gore. That kind of nonsense people would give me. Well, I filed a lawsuit and on October, and on, um, uh, um, filed a lawsuit in 2016, right? Finally found a lawyer, Charles Harder. And it took me many, many couple of years to finally get um, my day in court. In fact, after I filed my lawsuit, Gawker claimed bankruptcy. They go out of business and I get a $750,000 settlement and those three defamatory articles were pulled down. So it was a huge victory. And that's what I've done before. So, but the key thing here is the elites. This is what you want to take away. The elites do not want us coming bottoms up. Email, the invention occurred bottoms up from Newark, from the fact it didn't occur in the triangle of the military industrial complex. It occurred in the triangle of a loving family, a mentor who gave me the ability to use those computer systems, right? And my teachers, public school teachers. That was a triangle where innovation always has taken place. But they always try to subvert it and say innovation can only occur by the elites, the Zuckerbergs and, and the Gateses. 
Harvard dropouts, not by people who did not go to MIT. You see, the problem is with me, I've gone to MIT and I've done stuff before I came to MIT. And more importantly, you know, the windshield wiper, for example, was invented by a Michigan mechanic, the control systems model. MIT professors visit him and they're the ones who took his innovation from there. So great innovations can occur anytime, any place by anybody. So I wanted to share that with you. So when people try to attack the messenger of the truth of what I'm trying to share with you, yes, I did invent email. It's not even a gray area. It's black and white that the invention of email took place by Dr. Shiva Adre when he was a 14 year old kid. So that's from the credibility standpoint, if anyone uh, wanted to know about that. So, so for me, my motivation to run for US Senate was when I saw all this, uh, this was around 2018 when I won my lawsuit, I said, you know what? I said, America's becoming a caste system. America is no different than what India was, right? You have people on the top and everyone else below and they think they're better than us, right? And they think they can cheat and steal and lie. So I decided to run for Senate. And my first Senate race in 2018 was against a, a serious, serious uh, lying individual. You may know her. Her name is Elizabeth Warren. And by the way, the Massachusetts, I ran as a Republican. The Massachusetts Republicans ran a guy who photoshopped a picture with Trump. Okay. So I had to run as an independent. Here was our Senate run. There's our bus. It was called only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. And it wasn't about race. It was about the fact that Elizabeth Warren had lied about her being a Native American. And there was another shot of our bus. And I went across Massachusetts campaign. Here's a guy, if you notice his shirt says liberal, and he didn't like me calling him a racist because I was calling out Elizabeth Warren for her racism. So this is the kind of stuff we endured all over Massachusetts. When we started exposing the liberal racism, they didn't like that, okay? So this occurred all across Massachusetts, all right? So, and here's a picture of him hitting me in the face. I took him to criminal court. He had to go on nine months probation. That was another victory we got. The other thing that happened was in the midst of all of this, I had organized a free speech rally on August, 2019 in Massachusetts at the Boston Common. With, um, and uh, uh, our campaign was the, the leadership of that. And, um, and at that time, you know, our goal was to bring out the fact censorship was taking place in America, another important point attack on free speech. And at that time, um, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, who now just recently got appointed by uh, or nominated by Joe Biden to be his labor secretary, was running against a black guy. Marty Walsh. So here's the mayor running against a black guy. So we're holding a free speech rally. This was a week after Charlottesville took place. He branded our rally as a KKK, Nazi, white supremacist rally, okay? Because we had invited people from all spectrums, left, right, Green Party, um, you know, whatever they were, Bernie supporters, anyone who wanted to speak about this issue of censorship. Well, he branded that as a Nazi event. I was called a KKK member, a white supremacist, if you can get that. And what ended up happening was you see 40,000 people show up, 40,000 people show up to protest me and others, okay? 40,000 people, I hope you can all see this. 40,000 people thinking that the Nazis were in town, okay? They're wearing their masks, these are the Antifa people. And look what happened, we were speaking at the middle. The police and this mayor had put this nearly big football field yard uh, gap so they couldn't even hear what we had to say. And there was us, people thinking they're coming to fight racism. And what am I holding up? I'm holding up a sign 
that says black lives do matter if everyone can see that and no to gmos and i gave a talk about free speech that black lives do matter that no to gmos we need to fight for clean air clean water clean food none of this was carried by the press but fortunately we got it out through our own channels and you can see some people picked it up and in fact one of the reporters of the globe wrote a free speech rally minus the free speech okay so for me by 2020 when i was deciding to run in 2020 the two issues that really bothered me was this elitism that was taking place in the united states top down and the fact that um the first amendment was being violated essentially the government was violating political speech i hope that makes sense so this is a context in which I, you know, I uh, came into fighting for election fraud. Okay, so just quickly in summary, here's a guy who's been working in technology most of his life, um, created the first email system, never wanted to enter. You know, I've been an activist, forced to enter politics. We exposed Elizabeth Warren. Then in 2020, I decided to run because now I've pretty much seen that the government is attacking free speech. And also we have the fact that we're creating an elite system, elitist model in this country. So, so that led me uh, to the US Senate 2020 run. Well, we had close to 3000 volunteers on the ground. You couldn't go anywhere in Massachusetts without seeing one of our lawn signs. Here's uh, example lawn signs. We put out nearly uh, 10,000 lawn signs. We had bumper stickers and magnets like this everywhere. You know, 20,000 of these, okay? Uh, I hope everyone can see this, yep. Um, and what you see here is, we had volunteer standouts, over 500, 1,000 standouts were done. We had billboards. We had like 14 major billboards on every major highway. And we had volunteers galore. And this is what took place in Massachusetts. So when, when September 2020, so remember, this was a primary election. Now the Massachusetts GOP, who are basically one with the Democrats, remember there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats at the establishment level, okay? and no one should get involved in this two-party dialectics. So the establishment GOP had found some idiot. In fact, his website address was cock for Senate. Seriously, his name was, he initialed his name to try to uh, mimic AOC as KOC, cock for Senate. A lawyer who never ran, no background, nothing. He had no lawn signs, no bumper stickers, no visible organization, was nowhere to be found. And so this was the opponent they ran against me and their goal was to ensure that I didn't win the primary. This is it. Republicans did this to another Republican to make sure that that he would lose. He would be their designated loser to Ed Markey, who's the other senator in Massachusetts, who's been in the United States Senate for nearly 50. I mean, the U.S. Congress as a politician for nearly 50 years, 50 years, guys. So the Republicans wanted to sabotage me by running an idiot while we had this amazing bottoms up movement. We were everywhere. And on September 1st, 2020 was the date of the Republican election. And the feedback that I was getting from everyone was, you've won this, this is a landslide victory. So on the night of September 1, obviously, you know, the polls closed, we have a big party plan. And what do we find out? What do we find out happens? And this is what gets, this is what got me into the election fraud uh, area or election integrity. Well. That one county that you see 54%, okay? I won by nearly 10 points there. Well, what's important about that county? That is known as Franklin County. Franklin County is a county in Massachusetts where 80 to 90% of the ballots are paper ballots and they are hand counted. 
So I win in that county. In every other county, where it's nearly 80 to 90% of the ballots are machine counted by machines. Look what happens. It's 60-40. This other dope wins. I mean, he wins in places like Brockton, which is predominantly all black. He wins in Upper Lawrence, which is all Hispanic. I mean, this guy was nowhere campaigning. 60-40, 60-40, 60-40, 60-40. So this fool wins in every part of Masters except where 80, 90% were electronic voting machines, except in that one county. So I knew something was up. So at my, I didn't give a concession speech. I said election fraud took place in third rural Massachusetts. And I frankly said, I'm glad we have the second amendment. That was on September 1. Then I proceeded to say, you know what? I got to start using my system skills, my math skills to uncover what's going on. I, I didn't want to let up. So that's where the election fraud story begins. And for, for me to explain this to all of you, I, I took a systems approach. And this is why uh, I want all of you, let me just take a quick break here. Anyone listening here, you know, every, th to this Monday evening, I got to go right from this into a long course. I teach people the foundations of systems. And the way that any one of you can join that very easily is you can simply go, and everyone should do this now because you can support the movement that we're building, is you should go to vashiva.com, victoralphashiva.com, if everyone sees that on Instagram world, and some of you already seen this, go to vashiva.com. And right here, you can go to vash, over here it says join. Oops, let me log out here because I'm already logged into vashiva. But you can go to vashiva.com. You can just go slash join, okay? And when you go slash join, um, you'll be taken to a page, okay? And on that join page, it says join the movement for truth, freedom, and health. It says welcome to Dr. Shiva, the, uh, the uh, to vashiva, the revolutionary platform being developed by Dr. Shiva, the man who invented email. This platform provides foundational education curricula and innovative tools to empower you to be a force to deliver real solutions affect truth, freedom, and health in your local community. You can listen to this video. You can contribute to the platform. We're, we're building the equivalents of Facebook and all of that on the back end. But main thing is you can join as a member, but I'd really like all of you guys to take the warrior program. I mean, you contribute 100, it's nothing. I used to teach the same program from a system standpoint at MIT where you have to pay tens of thousands, but take this warrior program, you support the foundations of systems. Um, you, you'll understand um, how, um, why we need to build a bottoms up movement, okay? And I want you to take this course to do that because when you understand systems, you can pretty much figure out things beyond left and right. And that's what we need to stop in this country. We need to stop this left, right bullshit because it's what's separating us, okay? So getting back to the slide set here, um, so, I mean, I'm giving you a quick preview here, but when you look at a system and every system in the universe has an input and an output, okay? Now, electronic voting systems, the input there is the people voting, either through mail-in ballots or early voting or coming to the, coming to the, uh, uh, you know, coming to actually vote. So think about at, that as the letter P, denoting the people who vote. Well, if, 10 people vote, how many ballots are you gonna get? Which is represented by V. You should get 10 votes cast, right? Very simple. So the question is, should P equal B? Of course you would think, right? 10 people come in, you should get 10 ballots cast. Well, in Massachusetts, when this occurred, I had my volunteers go to all the different towns and start collecting data of P and V, how many people voted and, and the number of ballots cast. So here were a sample set of these seven towns. So you can see what P is in each town, okay? And you can see what V is, the number of ballots cast. And this is what we found. Look in Boston, 
4,114 more votes than voters. In Newton, 1,780 more votes than voters. V is greater than P, more votes than voters. This is a reality and anyone can go check this. And the amazing thing is the mainstream media didn't even bother touching this, okay? And so P is not equal to V. So what we found out is a way this could happen is they have a weighted race feature. It's a computer algorithm. This is the real crime scene. So the New York Times today did a hit job on election fraud because they're going after the fake election fraud and people are making money promoting that. We in Massachusetts went after the real election fraud, which is what I'm sharing with you here. It is the weighted race feature. It is the computer algorithms where the number of votes is equal to not just P, what it should be, it's P which can be multiplied by a W. These systems have a capability where you can weight a vote. So my vote could be not just one vote, it could be a half a vote or 1.2 votes, all right? It's not one person, one vote. So if, if W is one, right, if they don't apply a weight and it's one, P equals V. They'll probably do that to people who, who they don't, are not threatened by. But if P is, let's say W is less than one, that means this is what they could do to, so they could uh, debase your vote or they could make the uh, W greater than one. So you get more votes than voters as we saw, okay? So if you don't believe this, here's the Diebold voting manual of 2002. This is the actual manual, okay? Publicly available on page 2-126. What do you see? A weighted race feature and this is what it says. Read very carefully, it says weighted races are tallied by weights assigned from the voter registration may be counted on in central vote count centers. This is a feature. Let me repeat, this is a feature in the electronic voting systems, okay? So again, please educate your neighbors, use this video, okay? Please educate your people because this is what's going on, okay? This, there is a feature, it's documented in the electronic voting systems where they can multiply votes, okay? Now, I'll get to this, this is not only in 2002, it's I'll show you the Dominion voting manual in 2019. So again, there you see. So this was all hand counted, 54% machine counted. I'm only getting 60, 40, 60, 40, 60, 40. So what ended up happening out of this, so let me go to my first lawsuit. Now you've gotten all the long background. Um, hope I didn't bore all of you, but I think it was necessary. So when I found this out, I also found out that when you take a paper ballot and put it through those electronic voting machines, guess what happens? the machine converts that to an image, right? It makes a, it, it, it like you're taking your iPhone and taking a picture, okay? It takes a picture of that paper ballot. Now, what is tabulated? Is it the paper or the image? Let me ask everyone listening. What is tabulated, everyone? Is it, what is actually read by the machine to decide what vote was tabulated? People on Instagram, is it the paper or is it the uh, image? Exactly, Rachel, there you go. Rachel got it first. Um, Rachel nailed it. Yes, it is the, uh, there's Rachel. Yeah. So as Rachel said, it is the image. Okay. The image is what is actually analyzed, right? So the image is analyzed. So the ballot image is the ballot. Okay. Cause the ballot is that which is tabulated, which is a ballot image. So when I found this out, starting on September, uh, 9th, I started tweeting out on Twitter that the Secretary of State of Massachusetts had deleted ballot images. Now, why is this important? Well, according to federal law, any records, any records generated in the course of a federal election must be preserved for 22 months, which means 
a year and six months, right? It's got to be preserved for 22 months. And the reason they do that is if there's a contention, you have a 22-month break to do that, okay? So what, what do we find happens in Massachusetts? So I go to the Secretary of State and I said, I want the ballot images. I want log files. And they're supposed to give it to us. It's a public records request. The, the, so I, uh, on September 25th, I get an email from the Secretary of State. And you can see it right here, which I tweeted out. This is the email response from Massachusetts Legal Counsel to Sheba for Senate request for ballot images. Look what it says. Good morning. I'm writing to acknowledge receiving your request for records. Please note that this office does not maintain voter tabulation software firm or blah, blah, blah. While the office certifies voting equipment as re required by law, we do not purchase or lease equipment. She doesn't even answer the question. But then she goes on to say, further to the extent you request the same information from um, uh, local officials, please note that the approval of the digital scan equipment in Massachusetts specifically prohibits the capturing of ballot images. So this woman is telling me that Massachusetts prohibits the storing of ballot images. Okay, I'm new to all this, so what do I write back? What do I write back? This is what I do. I tweet. I, I'm, so that's the first tweet I put out, that email. Then I put out the email that I wrote to her. It said, Michelle, her name is Michelle Tassinari, kindly referred me to the statute or law by which approval of digital scan equipment Massachusetts specifically prohibits the capturing of ballot images. She writes back to me, which I also tweeted out, she goes, please find digital scan equipment. She's not even answering the question. And she repeats, please note that while the ballot images are not stored, the actual ballots are. Well, she's not answering the question. I write back to her. This is my fourth tweet. I said, one million ballot images used to count votes on electronic equipment were destroyed. She evades answering what statute allows Massachusetts to destroy ballots. I said, Michelle, you have not answered my question. Basically, I this was my fourth tweet where I basically exposed the fact let me go back to this. And if you read it, it goes, I said, uh, the fact that those ballot images do not exist, they were destroyed. The destruction is illegal and therefore the election is null and void. Okay. So what I had done was I took her, my email interactions, which are public. She's a public official. I put it out on Twitter. Bam. Within hours of putting out those four tweets, I was banned on Twitter for 21 days leading up to the general elections where I'd moved my campaign to a write-in campaign. I hope that's clear. My, the government, so, so right after that, so I have to figure out what the hell is going on. And what do I find out? I find out in an article that was written, the Secretary of State had contacted Twitter to say that I was spreading election misinformation. Let me repeat that again. The government, not Twitter. Remember, I've been on Twitter since 2011. I've said all sorts of controversial stuff. I've never been banned, but the instant those four screenshots went out, clearly showing that the Secretary of State had destroyed ballot images, which are the ballots from electronic, used in electronic voting machines. And I also said that they violated federal law because that within that instant, I was banned. And a news story, a, a, an organization called Lead Stories, which is a fake fact-checking organization, did a hit job on me, but in that article, they had said that the Secretary of State had contacted Twitter to say that I was spreading election misinformation. This is when I knew that I had them on First Amendment. So I didn't file an election integrity lawsuit. I didn't go after Twitter because what I found out was the government had forced Twitter to shut me down. Let me just repeat that again. The government had forced Twitter to shut a U.S. Senate 
federal candidate down for simply sharing the truth that ballot images, which are our property, which are supposed to be preserved, were being deleted in violation of federal law. Okay, so what did I have to do? No lawyer wanted to take on this case because the swamp in Massachusetts is deeper than DC. So I had to file the lawsuit myself. All right, so that was the first lawsuit, which I call the First Amendment lawsuit. Everyone tracking here? All right. First Amendment lawsuit. So I had to file this on my own. So what I did, and by the way, here is the federal statute, USC 20701. In fact, I shared this. I Oops, let me um, go back here. I don't think I... So uh, let me just go back if you guys didn't see this. Here's a, uh, Here are all the four tweets. First tweet, second tweet, third tweet, fourth tweet. Right after I put this down that they deleted the ballot images, they violated federal law. I'm banned on Twitter. And this is the actual law. It's black and white. In fact, I called, I, I sent a note to Bill Barr's office. I uh, called up the FBI. I went to the US attorney. They did nothing because they all know this is going on. So then I filed the lawsuit. What came out, so it was me, by the way, just to give you an update, it was me in this lawsuit on October 30th, me against three lawyers. I'm not trained in law. This is in federal court. I had to write the brief. I had to represent myself. And what came out in the testimony was that, in fact, the communications, the social media communications director of the Secretary of State acknowledged she had used the official Twitter account of the state to tell Twitter that I was spreading election misinformation. It gets even more juicier, okay? This is what happens. You find out right here, let me go back to the, so people, everyone can follow. Everyone on Instagram, okay, good. More people have joined, good. So that she used a Massachusetts elections Twitter account, wrote to Twitter and said, this guy's spreading election misinformation. All right, and I'll come back to this organization called NASID. And this is the actual judge after cross-examination with the witness, okay? Which says, I think the goal was generated to ensure that misinformation wasn't being spread. This is what the Secretary of State um, uh, representative is saying. And so whatever actions that we could take to make sure that the tweet was labeled as inaccurate or taken down, we were willing to pursue. Okay? Then the court, the judge asked, but did you think you had filed a report? Did you want to do everything possible to try to assure that the Twitter would take it serious and either remove and or, or label it inaccurate? The witness, yes. The court asked, and were you pleased when they deleted the tweet? The witness, I believe, I saw that it had happened, removed. Yes, I was relieved. I hope everyone's listening to this. And you should get all your friends to come and listen to this. Here is the Secretary of State admitting they had contacted Twitter to throw me off Twitter and they were relieved when Twitter removed my tweet. So they told Twitter to take the government, this is fascism, the government telling Twitter, forcing Twitter to take that down. Now, why would Twitter do this? Because Twitter, by the way, is already scared a little bit, right, with all of us attacking them. But when they get a, a instruction from the government, they're going to listen to it, okay? This was a government telling them what to do. And the fact that none in the mainstream media has covered this, Tucker Carlson, Tucker's a complete jackass, okay? He's a master grifter. And the New York Times, him, CNN, they're never going to cover this because I'm going at the heart. Of, and, he, he, and it gets even more interesting, okay? So what happens in Massachusetts? So this is a testimony. So here they've clearly admitted that they had a contact to Twitter, and they were happy that it was relieved. Now it gets even more interesting. 
Um, I cross-examine and I, and I say, and you mentioned a few mo moments ago in response to a question from the judge that the elections division is a Twitter partner. Is that correct? She goes, yes, yes. Okay. And when you say that, what does that mean? So check this out. It turns out that the secretaries of state are Twitter partners, guys. Trusted Twitter partners. So when we report something, we're a peons, we're the low caste. But when the secretary of state reports them, they get a bat line, a hotline. And no one knew this until I brought this out. So in, in my, in my cross-examination, what comes out here? We find out in black and white. And she goes, yes, yes. And, and when you say that, what does that mean? She goes, my understanding is that we're able to select certain reasons for reporting a tweet that may not be available to everyone, which means us citizens. And they, and that they will, that the people who review the tweets of Twitter when complaints are made will try to act quickly on the ones we report. Which means, which means that they are treated as a government. So check that out. The government gets treated better than you or I, okay? And Tucker Carlson will never do this because he's part of the fucking problem. Excuse my language. He's a preppy, rich boy, master grifter. This is the real election fraud lawsuit. So here in testimony, it was supposed to be a one hour hearing, everyone. It ended up being, it ended up being a four hour hearing. Four hour hearing. Remember, I'd filed in this lawsuit. This is the first lawsuit. I'd also asked the judge to give me a restraining order because I'm in the middle of my federal campaign to tell them not to call Twitter. Stop. Tell this. I wanted the judge to order the state not to contact Twitter. Okay. That's called a restraining order. Judges don't like to give the terms of restraining orders because once they give them, they're agreeing that you're going to win the whole case. All right. So what happens here? So now it's clear from these two things. They have a special relation with Twitter and the government contacted Twitter. It's black and white. It's in te sworn testimony. So what else happens here? Okay. What else happens here is quite interesting. Um, the judge asked, I asked, but did you not just assert to the court that this tweet was removed? So she acknowledges, um, uh, I, I, I thought it happened. And she goes, okay, but you, you do know that the four tweets, which was the four ones where I'm exposing the deleted ballot image that I sh shared with you and I interacting about the ballot images removed. Is that right? She goes, yes. So she was aware the ballot images are deleted and she was relieved. Okay. And she's the one who contacted Twitter. The secretary of state had their representatives contact Twitter to get rid of those tweets, all documented. So in summary, the secretary of state. Now, oh, one of the things I want to mention to you is that what also came out in testimony was this was quite fascinating. The chief legal counsel of the secretary of state admitted that they had also contacted another organization. They were so scared of my tweets called NASED, the National Association of State Election Directors. Go look them up right now. NASED. The National Association of State is a nonprofit where all the 50 state election directors belong to. Remember, why are state election directors important? They're the ones, they're the ones who certify the voting machines. They're the ones who certify the voting machines, okay? With those weighted race uh, computer algorithms capability. So NASED is an association run at that time, at the time of that hearing, executive director was a woman called Amy Cohen. Amy Cohen is also the founder of a group called Center for Election Innovation Research, CEIR, which in September had gotten $50 million from Mark Zuckerberg with the aim of centralizing vote tabulation, okay? Well, they contacted Amy Cohen, came out in testimony, to tell her also to contact Twitter.
to shut me down. How did a US Senate candidate who was merely sharing facts on Twitter become such an enemy of the state? That's what this is. The Massachusetts state contacted Twitter to shut me down and they listened and so did NASID. Well, who's NASID? Well, look at this. NASID is a nonprofit at founders of the Knight Foundation, the Rockefeller Brothers, Quadrivium, which is run by um, uh, James and Caroline Murdoch. Okay? Democracy Fund, this is who runs a nonprofit is the one who runs national, uh, who manages and funds the National Association of State Election Directors. This is who shut me down off Twitter. So this was our first lawsuit. And what came out here, as you can see here, as I already gone through these, so this is the net of it. In our lawsuit where we presented to the, to the state, this was on October 30th, is that they work to conceal ballot image destruction. They have Twitter as a trusted partner. They admitted to getting my tweets down, right? They admitted to all of this. Um, and they said they would they would using whatever it took by any means necessary. And they did this because they did not want the public to know that ballot images are more important than paper ballots and they violated federal law. And look what happened. The judge, after four hour hearing a few days later, and this is the first victory I've gotten in my lawsuit. Remember, judges do not like to issue terms of restraining orders or even a restraining order because once they issue that they're admitting you're going to win the whole case. And remember, every case that Trump has filed has been thrown out of court because his lawyers suck. They haven't gone after the real issue because they're there making the fake election fraud, the GOP, the Trump committee and the White House. And they, they made 300 million. They never, ever referenced my lawsuit until I started helping Trump out on his. But the bottom line is we in Massachusetts, without lawyers, without spending a penny, have gone after the real issue. And what happened? The judge, who's a federal judge, this is what he issued. We got This is our first victory in the first lawsuit. He said, as agreed by the parties, it is hereby ordered, ordered. Defendant Secretary of Commonwealth, William Francis Galvin, his agents, employees, and other persons in active concert with that shall not report or complain, this is until the end of my general election, to Twitter concerning any tweets by Dr. Ayadure. Two, defendants shall, shall ask the National Association of State Election Directors not to report or complain to Twitter concerning any tweets. And three, if the defendant believes that any tweet or communication by plaintiff is false or misleading, he may say so in a tweet or in another manner. This is a huge victory. This is a victory for all of us. This is a victory because a federal judge acknowledged, acknowledged that my case is strong. And by the way, I'm suing them for 1.2 billion. This is the free speech lawsuit because they used Twitter to shut down me because I was exposing the fact that the state was violating free speech. Okay. That the state had contacted Twitter to suppress, conceal the fact ballot images are being destroyed. This is for all of us. This is your lawsuit. It's not just my lawsuit, but we got a victory. No mainstream media reported on this, not one mainstream media. And you should call all of them up and, and give them this. Okay. So this is the first lawsuit. Did I stop with this? No. And again, we did this on our own. Did I stop with this? No. Here's a second lawsuit, okay? Now, why are these ballot images important? Let's just step back. And by the way, at seven, I have to stop at 7 p.m. As everyone know, I, I teach a course called For Truth, Freedom, and Health Warriors. Anyone can go join it. If you want to go, just go to uh, vashiva.com slash join. I'll show this to you. Um, you. You can contribute to our campaign. Uh, there, there's a fee to get this workshop. You get access to all the tools, but I am training an army of truth, freedom, and health warriors in foundations of systems. You have to join this if you're serious. You cannot build a bridge without Newton's laws. You cannot build 
a plane without Bernoulli's principles. You cannot build a transformer without Maxwell's equations. You cannot build a political movement without science, without the principles I put together. And that's what I teach people. So anyway, I have to do that at seven. So that's why I'm gonna rush a little bit here. But the bottom line is this, the reason ballot images are important is the following, because ballot images will match directly with the number of people that came in to vote. And it'll if, if they exist, we can look at them and figure out if the computer algorithm was turned on. Because if the computer algorithm was turned on, they're more than likely going to delete the ballot images. So the fact that the ballot image is deleted tells me that they must have used a computer algorithm because there's no way this guy won. So now, on the one hand, I had to put my hat on as a systems guy, the guy who invented email, got four degrees from MIT. Then I had to put my hat on as my other skill set, which is pattern analysis, okay? And I'm gonna to talk to you about that pattern analysis. So what is pattern analysis? So this is the other thing I've been doing for about 50 years of my life. So let me take you to that. So pattern analysis, so given that there's no ballot images, the question was, could I detect the use of a computer algorithm? So again, going back to our system, as everyone remembers, you have an input and an output, okay, of a system. And every system in the universe has a state. Right now, your body has a certain state. It could be in a normal state, okay, where it's fine, you're healthy or it could be in an abnormal state. And the goal of pattern analysis is to figure out the normal states and the abnormal state. Let me give you an example. Here's a simple pattern analysis. You go to your cardiologist, he you know, wires you up to the EKG and he gets, this is called the normal pattern, the normal signal pattern of if your heart is beating properly. Everyone see that? It's called a normal state. Now you could have an abnormal state where it looks like a sinusoid. And when you have a sinusoid, this means that you're, there's something wrong in your heart, okay? It's called ventricular fibrillation. That sinusoid pattern may look nice, but guess what? That's not what it's supposed to be like, okay? So that's called a, oops, let me go back here. That's called a dysfunction, okay? That's called the dysfunction that you're having in your heart. So, so in pattern analysis, what we do is we use mathematics, identify the normal state as well as the abnormal state. Those are different, I'm using this heart example. Now, from my background, I've been doing this all my life, guys. When I was a kid, 14 through uh, whatever, those uh, 14 through 20, I was looking at babies and looking at sleep patterns, as I mentioned, to figure out when a baby was having a normal or abnormal sleep pattern. I was looking at how deafblind people communicate, looking at how they, the signals of their upper lip movements, lower lip movements, to trying to figure out how we can detect words. Then I did work on bridge decks where we would send a wave, an ultrasonic, a radar wave into a bridge and look at the waves coming back to see from looking at those signals whether we can predict if the bridge was going to fall down. Then I did work with aircraft wings, composite wings, where you would send a wave and you would look at the wave coming back and you would try to figure out was that wing going to bust or break, et cetera. It's called ultrasonic non-destructive evaluation. In my current company, Cytosol, we take a pill. Uh, or a, a combination of ingredients. And with our technology, we can find out which combinations can lower inflammation, increase inflammation, solve Alzheimer's, et cetera. It's a pattern analysis problem. And with email for many years, starting with the White House, I could look at an email, apply pattern techniques to understand, just like the cardiovascular, normal state, abnormal state, an email that was a happy customer, or an angry customer, or someone who wants a refund or complaint about a website, et cetera. So, I'm a pattern analysis guy and I have patents on this. Here's one of my very famous patents on applying feature extraction, clustering and learning to detect patterns. So when 
Um, and by the way, you can apply this to face analysis, face pattern. So when I look at this problem of our voting problem here, I found myself in a very interesting situation here as a mathematician, the guy with four degrees who's an expert in pattern analysis, but also a victim of what appeared to be election fraud. I, I had to use my own rocket science to discover this. So what, what did I do? I found a very interesting signal. In one of the counties in Massachusetts, Suffolk County, we found we were very lucky. In math, we call this a unicorn. We saw a very interesting pattern. We saw a pattern of high, low, high, low, high, low, high, low, okay? Meaning um, votes, Suffolk County is predominantly Democrat, very low number of Republicans. So I was able to find lots of precincts where I only got one vote, lots of precincts where I only got two votes, lots of precincts where I only got three votes, lots of precincts where I only got four votes, lots of precincts where I got five votes, and so on, okay? And I grouped those precincts on the Y uh, together. On the X axis, you're gonna see the, the votes. How many precincts did I get? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight votes. On the Y axis, the actual precinct counts, okay? And this is, it's called a frequency, it's called a histogram, okay? Some of you may know what these are. And this is a histogram here. So what we're looking at is, this is a chart of my vote distributions histogram. You notice they go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, okay? And when you look at it, there's at least a row of nine highs and lows, okay? Now, what's more interesting is it's two times more odds than evens. Let me explain that. This would be like you going to a, this would be like you going to a, table in Las Vegas, every time you roll, you know, a dice, let's say six numbers on a dice, imagine that every time you roll, you get double the number of odds than evens, okay? Which means a dice maybe has, you know, four evens. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, double the number of odds to even. So it's got four odd numbers to, to and only two even numbers, okay? Very unlikely because it should be about 50% you know, 50-50, but this was double, okay? More odds than evens by double. And not only that, it was in a high-low, high-low, high-low pattern, okay? Up, down, up, down. So you're getting highs and lows, highs and lows. So what I did was, and anyone can do this if you know a little bit of math, a little bit of how to use Excel, you know, basic statistics, we figured out, well, how would you get that? So we did what's called um, a simulation. You can do this, um, uh, it's basic statistics. And we simulated the actual votes in Suffolk County. See, here's the actual votes, 4,245 votes I got. This guy, Cock, got 6,351 votes, okay? So the total votes. And we simulated 100,000 iterations of this, okay? In fact, I think we did. And what you see is this can only occur, that high-low pattern, one out of 161 times. You say, well, I mean, one out of 621 times. So, so 0.16%. Okay, you say, well, that's still a possibility. But then we did the high-low combined with the fact it was two to one, right? Double the number of odds to evens. Well, what you see, and again, we simulated the same thing, simulating the election. What you get is this can only occur one out of 100,000, 0.001%, okay? So what we had discovered was this was an anomaly. Oops, I didn't share this. I'm sorry, guys. Let me share these slides, okay? So uh, to the people in, in the YouTube world. So what you see is here is the graph. Up, down, up, down, up, down, high, low, high, low, high, low pattern. First simulation, just looking at high lows, we found out this is one out of 621 elections, possibilities. 
0.16%. But when we look at the actual data, it was not only was it high, low, high, low, high, low, but the highs were double the number of lows, two to one, okay? And what you find out, this can only occur one in 100,000 elections, 0.001%. That, we haven't even had that many elections in the United States since 1776, okay? So that's what this shows. So we had unequivocally shown that we had found a unicorn, an anomaly. And typically this kind of anomaly, when you have lots of votes, gets hidden in the decimal side. But we got very lucky here. So what did we do? What did we do? We went and we literally, um, we went, let me go back to here, make sure I switch to you guys. We went and literally said, how could you get this? Well, the only way you could get it, check this out. Because remember, you have to get a pattern, one, one, two, three, three, four, right? Double the number of odds, two odds to one, um, uh, uh, one even, two odds to one even, two odds to one even, and so on, okay? And what you see here is the way you can get this if the original value was one, two, three, four, six, and you multiply it by 0.666, okay? So we back calculated the weights because this is the only way the actual vote was here and this is the weighted vote, okay? That's what we get. And the other guys was multiplied by 1.2. So we redid the entire election, okay? We redid the entire election. So the red here was me, what was called with the weights, and the blue, this is what they reported to the media. He got 57%, I got 38. But when you actually apply, reapply, or you de-weight it, I actually got 52% and he got 43%, which by the way, is the same percentage I got in Franklin County, okay? And then we did it in Norfolk County, okay? You see, very similar. So I win 54 to his 43. I win here uh, 47, uh, I win here, uh, yes, uh, 48, it was very close here, 48, 47, okay? Here you see it's 52, 45, I win. Here it's 54, 42, okay, and so on. So when you de-weight everything, I win the election, okay? This is de-weighted uh, when, when I win. So uh, after you unweight, I win by nearly uh, 20,000 votes, okay? That's what actually took place, all right? Now, when I, so in my second lawsuit, so by the way, my second lawsuit was, it's called a one person, one vote lawsuit. And those of you wanna support it, go to bhgv.com slash one person, one vote. Okay, you can find it. Um, but in that lawsuit, I want, I've asked to decertify the entire election. I gave all of this mathematical analysis. All of this has been submitted to the courts. This was about a month ago. Um, almost a month later, or a month and a half ago, a month later, the Secretary of State filed an opposition to my second lawsuit. They asked it to be dismissed. Let me just tell everyone, remember, in every other lawsuit Trump has filed, they've all been dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. I think close to 80 lawsuits dismissed. So they try to dismiss this lawsuit. They got all their three Harvard lawyers or four, how many ever people, they filed a motion to dismiss, a big, you know, 100, 200 page motion to dismiss. Guess what happens? The judge denies their motion to dismiss, second victory. Okay, he didn't give their motion to dismiss. Most judges have. Every Supreme Court, every federal judge, every appellate judge has dismissed every one of Trump's lawsuits. My lawsuit has not been dismissed because I'm going after the real crime scene. All right. And I'm not a lawyer. OK, I'm representing myself. So here's what we find. So in my second lawsuit, the secretary of state and this is you're going to find out how criminal they are. 
Look what she wrote. The Secretary of State wrote, I have confirmed with the vendors of the ImageCast and DS200, that's um, that's Dominion, voting equipment that the scanning functionality was disabled for September 1st state primary and November, 20, November 3rd general election and that no ballot images were created. Okay, she is saying no ballot images were created. Do you know how, what a lie this is? Why is this a lie? This is a lie because without ballot images and electronic voting machines, you can't count a vote. You need ballot images. Without ballot images, there's nothing to count. How do I know that? Can I back that up factually? Sure, let's go right here, okay? I'm gonna share with you right here. This is from the affidavit of an election commissioner in Tennessee, where this is in the actual manual of the Dominion system. It says ballot image auditing capability retains a secure digital image of every ballot. And then this is a testimony of Eric Comer, one of the executive vice presidents at Dominion. They asked him, and this is what he says. He goes, regardless of whether it's hand-marked or the QR ballot, the scanners first take a digital image of both sides of a ballot. Let me repeat again. It, whether it's hand-marked or QR ballot, the scanners first take a digital image of both sides of the ballot. Without the ballot image, you cannot count a ballot. By the way, here's in testimony from a election commissioner. Here's the um, here's the, in 2011, here's a release note saying they use a weighted race feature. And here is a Dominion voting manual. This is right out of the Dominion voting manual. What do you see there? It, sa it says they have a feature called STV, single transferable voting. More specifically, the weighted inclusive Gregory method, which implements fractional surplus transfer of elected candidates. So they have a weighted method, okay? E this is in 2019, this is in 2002. So again, Ballot images to everyone's education are important because the ballot images are the evidence of whether a computer algorithm was there or not. So they delete the ballot images to hide the evidence. And you're seeing the Secretary of State of Massachusetts lying in sworn testimony saying, oh, the vendor told me they don't create ballot images. Well, it's an absolute lie because look at this. We have the actual, um, uh, we actually, we have the actual testimony of an election commissioner, right? I mean, it's it's in their own, um, uh, Dominion's own thing, they create a ballot image and the testimony of the executive vice president saying they always create ballot images, all right? So what we have found here, we got, again, look what happened. In viewing of the foregoing, it is hereby ordered that defendant's motion to dismiss is denied without prejudice. Boom, okay? Second victory, I want everyone to read that. Defendant's motion to dismiss docket number 15 is dismissed, is denied without prejudice. So second win. And why is this important? And everyone listening is, this is my second lawsuit, okay? Second lawsuit is that we, we someone said this, um, the second lawsuit, the reason we won here is because we're going at the heart of the issue, which is one person, one vote. And none of Trump's lawyers have done this because they are not about winning. They're about making money off talking off election fraud. I'm sorry, it's the only logical conclusion. They have a lot more assets than I do. I've done this on my own time with you know one or two researchers. So everyone out there, you guys gotta support our lawsuit. We're doing this on our own, okay? And you, you, you should do two things. First of all, join the course so you can understand how things work. So this is our second lawsuit. And um, let me see if there's any other slides here. I'm going to end there. 
um, right now and I can take any questions. But the most important point is everyone, you got to go and get educated or be enslaved. You got to go to vashiva.com slash join as I put together. Um, this is for you. You don't have to do it. But we're not going to build any movement unless you get educated. We're not going to get. We're not going to build movements on having people just talk a little, you know, just come up with slogans. Okay, truth, freedom, and health, which is a slogan of our movement, is not a slogan. You'll find out every Monday nights for three hours. I do the course. I have one coming up tonight, but you'll find out that you can join at any time. But you got to learn this knowledge. And our one person, one vote lawsuit. Let me just take everyone there. If you want to go to vashiva.com, you can go to one-person-one-vote, one-person-one-vote. Let me go to, I think the site's up there. Sometimes I get the URL wrong. Everyone on Instagram, if you're listening, um, if you go here as a symbol of building a movement, I want everyone to contribute $1. <laughs> Is $1 enough to support one person, one vote? You know, it's, it's, it's a symbol, okay? So you can go right here to vashiva.com slash one person, one vote, okay? And all the stuff is up there for you. One person, one vote, if you want, and support this lawsuit. Tell all your friends, okay? Because this is a way, let me put this up here, one person, one vote. Okay, save, let me do this, and I can show it here, okay? So that's how you guys can support um, the movement here, because the only way we're going to win, everyone, the only way we're going to win is through you getting educated. And what I've just done here in the last hour and a half is to educate you because um, because without education, you're going to be enslaved. It'll be a lot of passion and a lot of uh, hype and good slogans and good marketing, but we're not going to go anywhere. Patriot Party, MAGA Party, Libertarian Party, left, right, it's all bullshit. The only way change has ever come is bottoms up. And by the way, when you join, please go join as a member. Um, we have our mask cards are out. If you can see these cards, these are these wonderful cards we have out that you can learn about masks and you can give them to your friends. This is a way you can do activism on the ground. All right. We're building a movement here. We're not here for a bunch of rich billionaires to tell us what to do. And they're not going to do anything, guys. To them, this is a hobby. To you and I, this is reality. Okay. We are living in a world where if we do continue to have electronic voting machines, it's selections, not elections. That's simple. As I just tweeted out, some technologies, some technologies should be simple. Okay. The right technology in this case is paper ballots, hand counted and reported by the precincts, period. All right, everyone. So that's the update on the lawsuits. So we have real lawsuits in Massachusetts, which no media is covering that have that have actually that have actually have wins. OK, two victories and that should be inspiring to you instead of all these losses. And this is not left or right. This is not Republican or Democrat. It's about us building a bottoms up movement. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer, you know, but I learned the law and I have to represent myself. And I've I have two lawsuits that have survived dismissal and I got two victories so we can do this, but it requires you to let go and start looking up and looking from below. That's the way we build a movement. Anyway, thank you everyone. Have a good night. And again, remember to go to vashiva.com slash join, become a member, become a supporter, become a warrior. And we're going to start um, creating leaders all over the world in the country and in, in, in every state. We need to be educated. You need to understand Dr. Shiva's principles of building a movement.
Otherwise, I'm telling you, it's all going to fail. You have to have scientific principles. Otherwise, nothing will happen. You can't build a bridge. You can't build an airplane. You cannot build a transformer without laws. You need to understand the laws. You got to put in the homework. And a lot of millennials, a lot of people thinking Trump's going to do something. They're going to do something. I'm telling you, we're going to do it. But you have to have the right political theory. You have to learn the principles. So go do your job. Go do your homework. I can only do my bid here, which is to use my faculties and fight, but we're not gonna win it just with me. It requires all of you getting educated or it's your choice, be enslaved. Thank you everyone, be the light, have a good night.